Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, a happy place for small business owners awaiting the vaccine to be rolled out to their customers and hopefully to their business woes. The goal here is to give a ground level, realistic view of entrepreneurship by talking to small business owners about their original plans for 2020, what actually happened, and what comes next. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, and today's guest is college senior Aiden Riley, who in the spring of 2020 helped start a nonprofit that connects farms to food banks, raised over $5 million in less than a year, and is looking to double that in 2021. But first, our fun fact. Yay! Today's fun fact is something that should raise the tide of at least most ships. Consumer spending in the U.S. picked up a whopping 5.3%, seasonally adjusted from December to January. It will be interesting to see if that trend continues, as that jump was fueled mostly by the $600 stimulus checks that went out to Americans making less than $75,000 a year. On to our regularly scheduled segment, Facts and Figures. For so long, this segment has been a steady stream of depressing increases in new COVID cases, daily fatality rates, unemployment spikes, and then stagnation, and a stock market increasing the wealth of the 1%. Today is different. Over the last four weeks, the number of people being diagnosed each day with COVID-19 is down 61%. The daily death rate is down 37%, and active cases in the U.S. down 4.6%. Stock market... All indices are still in pretty much record territory, while the unemployment rate remains at 6.3%. Obviously, we hope that January's increase in consumer spending wasn't a fluke and helps pave the way to lowering those unemployment numbers. My guest today is Aidan Riley, a senior on the water polo team at Brown University. He will share how a couple of college kids started FarmLink Project, a nonprofit that has brought together over 500 students to raise over $5 million, orchestrate delivery of over 25 million pounds of produce, partnering with companies like Chipotle along the way. A lot to tell. Let's get to it. Aiden, thanks for being here to share your story. Thanks for having me. Let's start by having you share briefly what is the FarmLink project and when did you create it? Yeah, great. Um, Well, the FarmLink project's main mission is to take some of that surplus food that is going to waste every year and redirect it instead to food banks uh, that might actually need it and communities that need it all around the United States. Uh, And this effort began uh, in April of last year, right as the pandemic was uh, first hitting. So you began in April, was that early April, late April? Mid-April. We had gotten sent home from school in March, uh, spent a couple weeks doing nothing but perusing the internet and seeing all the horrible things going around on around the world that uh, could, I felt very, very helpless against um, in terms of, you know, not being able to do anything but sit and watch. And uh, after reading about Farmers around California having to dump their food due to supply chain breakdowns, meaning, you know, the ones that were supplying food to large businesses or schools like UCLA, uh, suddenly having contracts slashed, you know, we saw millions of gallons of milk uh, 
you know, millions of pounds of potatoes, eggs, et cetera, uh, being buried. Whereas at the same time, I, you know, saw a local food bank that I grew up volunteering at. Uh, and I, you know, heard from them that they were having to, you know, burn through their storage, months and months of storage as they went from 300 families to 1300 families a week. So those kind of felt like two issues that could, you know, solve each other. And yeah, so mid-April, we started calling farms asking if they had surplus food. And if they did saying, can we, you know, rent a truck, drive it there and haul it back to this food bank in Santa Monica? Was there an incentive for those farmers to work with you? Yes, we, uh, you know, in, in many cases, these farmers said, you know, um, sure, I may have a pile of potatoes out back, but this is going to happen again next week. And the thing is, it costs me money to hire workers to pick these or move these or pack these or to pay the trucker. So we had to start raising donations from, you know, friends and family at the beginning uh, to help offset those costs for the farmer uh, so that they could pay their, uh, their workers, essentially. And you're obviously working in, in kind of a, a nonprofit capacity in that the farmers who are working with you, you are not there, you know, you're not their first option. You're, you're not there to, to make them money. You're there to stop them from hemorrhaging money and resources as there is this giant violent disruption in the supply chain. So yes, what are you, uh, how is, is sort of like payment, dis or how, how is the value of what you are picking up? How is that decided? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, you're totally right. I mean, we are, we are very insistent that we should be the absolute last option. Um, of course, if we came in offering monetary value and we just became another customer, it would be good for the farmer, but it wouldn't actually be solving an issue. Um, so how payment is decided is, you know, essentially at this point, having moved 25 million pounds of food now across the United States, we have a pretty good idea, uh, especially, you know, with our, you know, our partners who have been doing this for much longer than we have, we have a pretty good idea of prices that are accurate for what we'd call the pick and pack out costs, which is what we're offering to pay. It's the break even cost for those farmers. Um, there's a price for, you know, uh, each type of produce in each type of area. Uh, it changes every single day, but, you know, we got a pretty good system down to know that, okay, if this farmer is sending something to waste, then we can understand this is the price that's fair to purchase that at. And when they donate it, an important factor is they're actually able to uh, get a tax write-off. There's a law that allows them to have a fraction of the value of that food that they, we directed to a food bank. They're able to write off of their taxes at the end of the year. So, so another incentive. But when when you're when you first started in April of your basically spring semester of your junior year in college, did you have any sort of agricultural experience or uh, you know a, a history in in uh, produce pricing that would have yeah. helped you with this? I mean, what was what was that like when you were first starting off? Uh, yeah, uh, very little. Um, uh, I study, so I'm a senior at Brown University um, now, and I, I study international politics. Before this, I was interested in documentary film uh, filmmaking, essentially, and I'd done independent projects and worked for production studios. Um, and that's what I thought I was going to do after after school. Uh, none of which was, you know, remarkably helpful in terms of how to talk to a farmer or understand their issues. So 
I think, and, and this was the same case with my, my partner and co-founder, James Knopf, known each other for years. We've worked on a lot of film stuff together, um, but, you know, knew as little as I did. So I, I think that was actually an important factor in, in the beginning because we didn't try to like bite off more than we could chew. Um, we said, let's just try to talk to these farmers and break their issue down or with them to the most simple possible cause and, and simple solution. And that ultimately became, hey, yes, if you do pay my pick back out cost um, and you solve the transportation issue uh, for me um, and find the food bank that wants it, then yes, you can take as much as you want. We'll do it every single week. Uh, and that became something that was, you know, digestible and and uh, something that we started doing, you know, first around Los Angeles and then we, you know, then to Idaho and uh, et cetera. So now it's all 48 states or sorry, it's almost all of the states. We work in 48 of them. Right. Continental U.S. Mm -hmm. And one in Mexico. Just set up. Yeah, we just set up some deliveries in Mexico and that's going to start becoming a recurring thing. We have a, a, a team of 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 people who live there who were sort of helping train to get them get the process down. Of course, it'll be different from Mexico. So we're working on it. Wow. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers in the volume of what you have done in so little time is so impressive. I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the farmland project, because I know you, you, you mentioned uh, Mr. Knopf as your, as your co-founder, but I know that things t- seemed to have scaled pretty quickly. Can you talk about what that process was like early on? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, from the beginning, I think it was enlisting close friends. I mean, if you can remember at, at this time, at least stu- I can speak for students. Um, no, nobody really had anything going on. Everyone was stuck inside their houses and things were really put on pause, uh, uh, especially in, the, in those early months. So it was at this point, people were, you know, most of my peers were, were bored, restless, wanted to help, wanted to do something. And so we started by reaching out to uh, our closest of friends to help us do things like call farms, um, which was just, you know, I mean, it's a direct return on the time you, you, you put in. Uh, a few came and a few stuck. And those ones that stuck and, you know, many of them are still around to this day. But what happened was the more that came, the more posted on social media saying, hey, help give donations to, um, to, the, to what we had now called the FarmLink Project. And then their friends would see it and say, hey, I have nothing to do. And I want to, I, this sounds like a cool thing. Can I help? And it became this very nodal system uh, through social media, largely of, of, hey, can I reach out? Can I reach out? Can I reach out? And, you know, I brought in a friend from Georgetown. Now we probably have 20 people from Georgetown working here. And um, so I guess, you know, long, um, to, to put it more succinctly, uh, it was a very, very natural growth in terms of people. And the way we set up structure was on a, on a need be basis. Um, and, 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 uh, and it was at first just as simple as let's have a team of people calling farms and a team of people calling food banks. And we, and we grew from there, which made it much more manageable for us. It, it seems like things scaled pretty quickly. And I know that it, it sounds like you credit a lot of that to this, bizarre point in time that we found ourselves in and, and impacted students in sort of this bizarre way of canceling all in-person things. You're now taking classes online, but because there's 
that whole uh, the social aspect of being on campus is gone and, and we're quarantined, that there is this huge spike essentially in the availability of your peers' time. Is that something that you credit your early success to? And, and is there anything else that you would uh, credit your ability to have grown such an organic uh, organization so quickly? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting question that, you know, I'm still trying to think about in terms of, uh, well, I'll start, I'll start by saying I, I can't take too much credit for, for, or much credit at all, I think, for uh, the, the people who have come and volunteered for FarmLink, because, you know, I may have convinced them or James or whoever may, may have convinced them to come, but they're the ones who stayed and have continued to put in like 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, uh, um, completely volunteer and committed to this like a full-time job because that's what it's been. But the interesting question here is, you know, it's true. We've been, we've been able to get a lot of amazing, I'll call it talent uh, or just people, you, you know, who, who otherwise may have had their an internship lined up, lined up, or a job lined up that got pushed back six months, um, et cetera, et cetera. So people from experience and in in all different types of of, of fields. So that was you know maybe a silver lining of the situation uh, we're in is this availability, like no pun intended, this surplus of of people uh, who it was like right time, right place. But the question is, you know, okay, looking at the looking at the organization and, and trying to make it sustainable, can we rely on the idea that that's something that will always happen? And you know, six, five, ten years from now, let's say five years from now, um, you know, you know, will we have shot ourselves in the foot by setting up the goals and the structure of the organization based on, you know, a time when we had a hundred, you know amazing, passionate, super driven, uh, smart people giving 40 hours a week. So that's a question I'm trying to, um, you know, wrestle with now and, and how to, how to address it. I, I want to move on to our mid COVID segment. Uh, but before we do, I, I have one last question, which is, and you touched a little bit on this earlier, but basically the, the FarmLink project started off as a, as a response to COVID roughly a, a month in to COVID, you, you know, you and, and James started, uh, started connecting or starting started working to, to solve the problem of, of excess, uh, pro produce and, and food waste due to that, uh, supply chain disruption of, of COVID. But what made the, the connection, like there are, there are a lot of ways to help those who are struggling as a result of the pandemic. You know, a lot of people have gone to to masks or showing appreciation to, appreciation to healthcare workers. What made the connection for you between food insecurity slash food waste and lending a hand to you know to to those in need? What, what why 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 that particular aspect? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, was was it as simple as just reading and reading articles about the massive food waste? No, no, it wasn't. I mean. At the beginning, maybe it was unconscious, unconscious like that. But the reason I'm still, you know, here now, and the reason why this is um, what my career is going to be, at least, I mean, for uh, an indeterminate amount of time, as soon as I graduate, this is going to be what I'm doing, is because we've, you know, in the process of doing this, uh, really, really come to terms with the fact of the the scale 
uh, and maybe the face of what food insecurity is in the United States, um, in, in which, you know, for, for those listeners who may not know, uh, because it's such a vague, you know, impersonal term, food insecurity essentially uh, refers to the, the demographic of people who do not know where their next meal is going to come from. Um, and uh, yeah, getting, getting more involved with this and, you know, having experiences like, for example, traveling in an RV around the country and, uh, you know, talking to communities that we've worked with, you, you, you see situations, you talk to teachers who say things, who to tell you stories about students coming in and passing out because they haven't eaten in four days about you talk to families who have nothing to eat, but let's say Doritos and Oreos, because that's the only thing their local food bank provided. Um, you talk to members of Navajo nation who are legitimately emaciated and starving because they are out in the middle of nowhere and have absolutely no access to uh, supply chain networks. And they have to drive an hour and a half to get, you know, to the nearest grocery store, it's overpriced. So I, I guess the, you know, without getting too much into it at the beginning, I, I would say it was unconscious. I, 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 I came from a background where I was privileged enough to not have to be faced directly with food insecurity, even with, um, even with volunteering at a food bank and at homeless shelters growing up. Uh, but it, it was, it was really the experience, let's say a couple months in of being able to come to terms with the impact by talking to the people we were working with that has kept every single one of us in, in, in on this and committed on it for the long run. I'm, uh, and that's something I, I maybe, I never could have uh, predicted, I guess. We're definitely going to get more into what your vision is for the FarmLink project, especially post-COVID. But we'll do that in our next set, our, our mid-COVID and our post-COVID sets. But before we do, it's time for our guest's unsponsor. The unsponsor is generally an awesome company who produces awesome products run by awesome people. In keeping with the, the nonprofit theme of today's episode, tell us, Aiden, who is today's episode not brought to us by? Today's episode is not brought to us by uh, Food Finders. And I, I'll tell you something about Food Finders. They are a, okay, so they're a food bank in Southern California. And um, they've been around since 1989. And, you know, more specifically, they're the food bank that we called when we needed a 501c3 fiscal sponsor. What that means is, you know, you in order to get official nonprofit status, which you need before you can start doing anything, essentially, um, it takes months. You have to file this application and ours still hasn't been approved in eight months. Uh, so in the beginning, before we had done anything, we were calling all these organizations asking if they would sponsor us. And, you know, the, we got hung up on the 30 times and uh, it was food finders who really took the chance on us. Um, they said, you know what? Sure. I, I'm all, we're all about supporting kids in their effort basically. Um, and ever since they've sponsored, you know, they've sponsored us. They've handled so much of this backend work that we did not have experience in and totally would have screwed up. Um, they have been, you know, managed every single dollar that has come through. And the fact of the matter is we absolutely wouldn't be here without them. And they've done, all of it pretty much without taking any sort of cut out of our the donations that come through us, which is usually standard practice to do for a fiscal sponsor. So I wanted to mention them because, I, I mean, for all the reasons I just stated, we wouldn't be here without them. 
and they're incredible people who've been doing this much longer than we have. And if our listeners wanted to support them, how would they okay, do that? Yes. Uh, I want to make sure I don't screw this up here. You go to their website, foodfinders.org. And, uh, you know, to be clear, it is Food Finders LBC in Los Alamitos, California. And their Instagram handle is Food Finders LBC. Got it. I like how you uh, intertwined or, you know, not only are you giving a shout out to a, to a worthy organization, but also tying it back to, to your own story, because that was going to be one of my questions was, you know, how do you as college students go about raising and uh, in an organized fashion, such high, such large amounts of, of, of money? And it sounds yeah. like having a, a partner who's much more established within that community was a way to lend legitimacy to to what you were doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I want to f- kind of bring things back to a, the timeline and then b the, what I always do, which is try to put some, some metrics on things. So mm-hmm. to start things off, uh, what was your, what was your fundraising like in those first couple of months? Did you find a, a warm and welcoming, crowd the kind of a, a you know easy reception because people knew what was going on or was it tough because you you know you're you were a, a junior in college with like a you know an organization that you sort of just invented yeah um uh, uh so at the beginning you know I, I i we made a pact to not go and just like for example i i was telling my parents about this in the beginning and kind of asked them like can, can i can i have some help with this can i have some help with this like this farmer needs this money and they're like get out of here well, you know this is another insane thing you're doing like come back to us when the thing actually works um so we said shit we got to start you know putting up on a website and and <laughs> social media and asking for uh donations from friends basically and that's what we did in the beginning um especially after we had uh, a food finders, then we could, you know, tell people that their uh, donations were tax deductible, which just made a world of difference. But there, there was two significant things in the beginning. The first was, yeah, I remember getting our very first grant. It was from 10, it was for $10,000. And um, it was from an organization called refed, which does a lot of amazing work um, uh, with organizations trying to fight food waste and food insecurity, essentially. But I filled out that application in my own way. Uh, just, I think I was like on my phone in, in my bed, like just, just typing it late at night. Um, cause I'd filled out a bunch that day. And I remember getting an email from my, my, our, our dear friend, Lisa at uh, food finders who manages all of their, uh, app- grant applications the next day. And she was just going insane. She was like, who filled this out? And I was like, I, I did. And, uh, she was so pissed at me because I had just done it in the most unprofessional way or the most inexperienced way that sounded just like a college student writing it, who didn't know what the, what the hell he was doing. And she was just raking me over the coals for all the ways that this needed to be done better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then two days later, the email came in and we got it. We got the grant. And I had this, you know, <laughs> she was, I had this, I told you so with, with Lisa, but not really because uh, at the time I was scared of her. So, um, you know, that, but that first $10,000 grant, I mean, you know, then we went from dealing with a couple hundred bucks, which is, you know, would translate to a couple thousand pounds of food 
to $10,000 with the, the prices we were working with was, you know, basically a hundred thousand pounds of food. It changed everything for us in the beginning. And that is what allowed us essentially to um, make more and more deliveries and enough deliveries to start catching the attention of news outlets. Uh, and th that was my second piece here was the biggest thing that the thing that made the biggest impact in the beginning was news outlets picking this up. Uh, the, the very first was the New York Times and uh, total shot in the dark. We, we shot an editor, uh, an email about it. And, you know, once that happened, uh, we were we were able to field donations from all around the country, from people in almost it felt like every state saying, hey, you know, I have 20 bucks here. I have 40 bucks here. I have a truck here. Can I use it? I have I got an email from a, a grandmother in North Carolina, I think, with a vegetable garden saying, how do I donate? Uh, so yeah, to summarize, um, the beginning grant writing was very unprofessional, very difficult, and we were learning a lot. Uh, but when that first one hit, it allowed us to make an impact that, you know, could start making a small splash and get picked up and seen by people around the country. And the, the shot in the dark to the editor in the, at the New York times, it was sort of in response to one of your, in, uh, one of your inspirations, right? Didn't you read something in the New York times about, about food waste? Yes. Um, it, it actually was the same author who came out with a follow-up article. So we figured out that, uh, it was, so his name's Michael Corkery and it was his article that I read that if you look up is still one of the most, one of the first coverages of, uh, of, of food waste during the pandemic. And we found out that he was actually a Brown grad. Um, so we sent him, we sent him an email saying, this is what we're doing. We think it's relevant to, uh, your article. Um, any chance you want to cover it. And he, he threw a mention of us in there. Uh, right. So he, he presented totally a problem true. and then you yeah. followed up and said, Hey, we, we were inspired by your problem or by, you know, yeah. you shine the, the light on this here. Here's yeah. part of the solution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really so, smart. Do, do, do you feel like your background in, in storytelling through documentaries has played, has, has worked to your advantage at all as you've tried to communicate this story and, and grow the national awareness of the farmlink project? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and we, uh, there's, a, as you know, there's a million and one things that uh, all of us uh, could and should care about right now. And so it's like, how do you come in and, you know, in such a turbulent time and tell people, no, 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 uh, you pay attention to food waste or pay attention to food insecurity or the combination of the two. Um, it, it took, I think, a, a self-awareness in terms of, uh, you know, at that time, how the country may have responded to a properly told story of inexperienced students um, getting up and trying to do something, even though they, you know, didn't have experience. Um, but then, you know, at, and and I, I think it took, a, yeah, I, I think it took an it, it took an ability to tell that story and then bring in, use our video editing skills in the beginning, use our use our, our knowledge of how to work cameras to go and film these deliveries and put together clips that could be shared that ended up being like, ended up being probably the most pivotal thing. If we didn't take photos and videos and then edit them at the beginning, then um, I would, I would say, or, and know how to, how to, how to put them out there. Then I, I don't, I, I don't think we'd be where we are. Right. How to stitch it together into an yeah. easily digestible little nugget of information that made people want to get involved and share that story with others.
Yeah, exactly. It was really, it, we made a, a, about a, you know, I think it was like a minute and a half or two minutes, just over two minute video. Um, at the beginning, I think before we even really moved or before when we'd only done two or three deliveries, uh, and we released that posted on our like personal Instagrams that I, I know that video was very, was responsible for so many volunteers who are still here, you know, eight months later. Yeah. And that's something I, I want to get to next. Just, um, I guess two quick numbers that I'm, I'm hoping you can provide. One mm-hmm. is how many pounds of food have you moved so far? And then mm-hmm. two, how many volunteers have worked for your worked for the FarmLink project to date? Yeah. Um, okay. So for how many pounds of food changes every day, like by the end of today, it'll be different. Uh, but it's just over 25 million pounds of food. As wow. Of this morning. Okay. Um, and then how many volunteers? And volunteers. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was saying I got to go back and, and, and honestly count on the list. Cause the thing is there's a fluctuation since April we've had, uh, we've had, we've had people come on and then unfortunately, or fortunately for them have to leave because of another opportunity. Uh, and, but at any given time, you can count on 130, uh, to 180 of us on the working on this project full time. And with so many iterations of that, I mean, I, I, I know we've kind of been a part of the lives of over 500 young people in the last eight months. Wow. So yeah. And that, that's been from around the country. So, you know, the, what I, what number I do know in terms of, in terms of Italy is we've gotten uh, people from 75 universities. So it, it, there's a lot of us who are, who have become really good friends who have never met each other. And there's kind of an ongoing joke of like, nobody knows how tall the other one is. And sometimes you'll go, <laughs> you'll right, right. be like a farm link meetup. And, and I have a friend, Ben Collier, the other, he's also kind of part of the founding team. And he, uh, like the guy's got like kind of a baby face. He's going to be so pissed at me if he hears me say this, but he's a bit of a baby face. And so everyone maybe thought he was a small dude. And then his whole, like he met up with a couple members of his team and he's like six, like almost six, six, he's just massive. And they were all shocked. So I don't know that, that those relationships formed entirely virtually is a pretty, pretty unique thing to see. Right. Uh, First of all, I mean, th- those numbers are just astounding for a for a couple of people who basically started a nonprofit out of their out of their dorms or, you know, living that living that that college life without experience in nonprofits, in food waste, in agriculture to have started something that. Oh, oh my, sorry. And one other question. How much have you raised so far? Oh, yeah. Um, we've raised uh, over five million dollars. Okay, so wow, so five million dollars, five hundred empl- or five hundred uh, volunteers, and you've delivered to the contiguous, you know, the, the lower forty-eight states, and you've moved twenty-five million pounds of food. So those numbers are, are uh, I think, uh, wildly successful. They're astronomically high for you know so for for considering the timeline that you've worked on with the resources that you began with how have you been able to effectively manage and organize so many people? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, going back to that thing, going back to what we were talking about in terms of natural growth. And uh, I think it was really important to, you know, not say, I think there's a push and pull between myself and James. And then now of course, others who are, who are involved in leading this thing. 
uh, in, in terms of looking towards the horizon and then, you know, keeping feet on the ground. Uh, that's been very important because of course you need that vision for how are you going to get to this point, but you also need, I think that uh, microscopic sort of view of, okay, what is the next step that's important that we can put blinders on and only focus on that. Um, and doing that, I think allowed us to, yeah, be very self-aware of what we were capable of in the moment and then decide, Oh, we need some more people for this. And then let's, let's, let's like let some people in. So the team never ballooned too quickly to where there was a bunch of idle people, you know, around it. Everyone, it was always that little edge of being, being very busy, but not completely overwhelmed where you're going to shut down. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, could, do I think we could, could, could do it, you know, 10 times out of 10, if we had to do it over? No, I think we got, there was a stroke of luck in there in terms of how things played out, but it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a great example of natural growth and then delineating and, and, and delegating work and delegating leadership to, to people who rose to the occasion and doing so very freely. Do you, do you have an official org chart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I feel like you, you would have to, because at this point you've brought on, you've added more than one person per day, right? I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> we're less than 365 yeah. days into this. And we're probably, mm-hmm. you're probably around day 300 and I don't know, 15 or 20 into the farm yeah. project at this point. And yet you've had 500 ish volunteers. So you're looking at like one and a half new additions every single day. Like you're, you're not Apple, you know, you're not Microsoft. Like how are you, how are you onboarding so many people like this and, and doing it in a way that's obviously successful based off of the numbers that you shared? Yeah. Well, now we've got this whole sort of uh, interview system set up where it's not ad hoc anymore. Um, Really. I still do it ad hoc a little bit. Uh, you know, on a, on a personal level, but it's that, that kind of bothers Stella, who's our, you know, chief of staff, I guess you would call her. Um, and uh, so what we do is basically is we have set dates where we're going to say, this is where we're going to do onboarding. And then, you know, months, months leading up to that, we post on our like LinkedIn and Instagram and all that good stuff. Uh, the opportunity, you know, the link to apply essentially and applications roll in and then we spread out interviews. We do interviews with, uh, with, with all the applicants. Um, and so our last one, you know, our last onboarding session was January 1st. So all throughout sort of the Christmas holiday season, I was taking a bunch of interviews every day. And then once they come on, I mean, so it's, this is very like standard for any other business. We've tried to just copy what others do. We have our org structure split up into farms team. The people build relationships with farms, call farms. Food, basically what's called our food and security team, who is all about figuring out the best place to move the food. We have our ops pillar, which is uh, finance, legal, all that good stuff. Uh, our creative pillar, which is media and marketing. And then our dev pillar, which are, is, you know, all these coding wizards who are, you know, can, you know, figure out how to make our processes better and more efficient with technology. So, Four major sections. I named five, but we do the food banks and farms. Um, it's in under the same pillar that we call core. So core, dev, creative, and ops. And we, you know, try to do our best to sift through applicants coming in based on, you know, the usually limited skill sets they have because most of us are college students. You know, what we're really looking for is pat like a, a passion for the issue. And uh, 
then we 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 sep- yeah we separate interviews and bring them on so if that if that answer was a bit haphazard it's cuz the process is a bit haphazard um, we're we're doing our best but yeah, well, it's, I mean, that, you're, you're doing your do. best, and I think your best is it, it must be pretty good based off of the <laughs> the numbers that you've shared. I mean, the the proof is in the pudding. I want to talk a little bit about your fundraising abilities, and mm-hmm. and I mean, if, again, it's I I tip my hat, I I I sit in awe. I mean, it's incredible the the numbers that that you have been able to to garner so far. Is that have you taken the 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 bernie sanders approach to to getting a, a million one dollar donations or or i should say five million one dollar donations or or have you been able to uh kind of farm that out to larger organizations have you had any bigger partners yeah um so for a long time the majority was individual donations from people around the united states and that was awesome I, it was like 90 percent of our uh funding was from individual donors who had seen us on, let's say, like ABC News and decided to give their money, which always amazes me, um, the, the, the amount of trust. Uh, I think it motivates, it amazes and motivates all of us, the amount of trust people like that have to just see uh, something on the news and, you know, kids doing this and then give $300 of their own money. Uh, recently, though, it's it's moved, you know, more towards about, it's been about 60-40 with the 60 being, uh, grants from larger foundations and things like that, uh, as well as partnerships. Um, I think the fall was pretty significant for us because companies started to take notice and want to, you know, include us in their, uh, you know, their social good fundraiser or their, you know, a good example is Chipotle included us as their roundup partner for, uh, the last couple months of 2020, which meant that every time you go in, you know, you see something about the farmling project and on your order, it's asked, you have the option to round up from to the nearest cent and give that remainder of that dollar to us, which raised a, a remarkable amount of funds for us. And so if um, your bill is $11.57, you can round up to $12 and 43 cents yeah. go to the farmland project. Exactly. How much, exactly. Did, how much did that uh, lead to as far as uh, uh, just a dollar amount? About a, about a million dollars. Uh, which we, because we've pledged, if you go on our website, you can see anywhere, uh, we say a hundred percent of donations go to food uh, or go, go towards our mission essentially. And that's, that's true. We have basically no overhead. We have 3% overhead for our website and for a couple accounting things. Um, otherwise 90, you know, otherwise every bit of, 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 of a donation that comes to us is going to go towards paying the wages of farm workers, of truckers, and is going to go towards moving food to people who need it. So I think that makes our job easy in terms of fundraising is I never feel like I'm having to convince uh, uh, them that, you know, that if they're trying to fight food insecurity, that we're better than this guy. Uh, I think it's a, it's a something we can stand on our two feet and be proud about. It's like, we can guarantee that if you give us our, your money, we're going to spend it in the most efficient and helpful possible way uh, to fight this particular problem. Do you think that it will be difficult to continue this level of success beyond COVID? Yeah. Um, well, that, you know, 
that that will take okay short answer is yes and no um yes or no because food waste and food insecurity are not unique to the pandemic uh both these issues have existed uh long before and will exist after the pandemic. Right. They've um, just been highlighted it, by the Exactly. Pandemic. They've just been highlighted and and and, and exacerbated by the pandemic. Um uh and, and you know millions of pounds went to have gone to waste. Millions of pounds of food have gone to the waste uh, gone to waste during the pandemic, but you know, we're talking a hundred billion pounds a year of food waste in, in the US. And um nearly in you know one in nine Americans out irrespective of the pandemic who are food insecure. So, but the reason it will be difficult is because, you know, we need to understand that although these issues aren't unique to the situation we're in, uh, you're, we're going to have to frame it a little bit, bit differently and understand that as supply chains repair and as things normalize, we're going to need to target these, these, these deeper root, the deeper roots of this issue um, and always kind of be self-aware in terms of, you know, uh, you know, be proud of how you're helping, but make sure you're not just slapping a bandaid over a bullet hole kind of thing. Uh, and, 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 and make sure that if you're putting all of your energy into this and you're putting other people's money towards this, um, that you're targeting the structural roots of, of this thing. So that's going to be a big challenge, but that's, you know, why I'm not kind of, you know, bouncing out of here come May and why so many of us aren't. Right, which is an excellent segue. Thank you. I don't know if you're looking at my list of questions here, but I, I do <laughs> want to talk about what you know. What are your plans post graduation? Because I know right now you mentioned that you have you have no you have zero paid employees, but yeah, you know, and, and that can work when you are in college and you're doing this as sort of a side project. But as things grow and people start to start to start to graduate what you know, what what will farmlink look like next year and and what will it look like as far as your involvement yeah i well as i said i'm i'm going to be hiring myself um and and several of us will be doing the same uh many of us uh, and by us i mean sort of volunteer leadership at, at farmlink uh many of us are not seniors um i am but like for example co-founder co james is a, uh, a sophomore at Stanford. So that complicates things, but that's what we're working on every day now. And what farming is going to look like, let's say a year from now, in you know, in my perfect world is the volunteer aspect inside of things is going to, is going to remain intact. Um, uh, it, it, it's so valuable to us and is such a huge part of the identity of this thing that it, it can't go away. But at the same time, we have an opportunity to you know, both hire those who want to work on this for a long time, especially uh, new people who have more experience than we do in taking something from um, a, you know, feisty, small, I guess you would say startup into a sustainable company. Um, we have learned a lot in the last eight months, but it's also only been eight months and we are no experts by any means. And I look forward to being able to, I don't know, use the attention that this nonprofit has gotten to attract people who can, you know, who I can work with and learn from next year. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, what farming is going to look, look, look like in a year from now is something that has kept its original DNA 
but is really looking towards the future in terms of its structure. I think that's a, that's a, a, a great answer. And, and I think uh, I have, I have all the faith in the world that based off of everything I, I've learned about farming projects, that it's going to be a, a, around for a while because a, it sounds like you have the the systems in place to make that happen, and B, obviously the the problem of food waste is is not going away. The numbers you gave, a hundred billion uh, pounds, and you know there's three hundred and thirty ish million people in the U.S. We're, we're looking at like almost a pound per person per day that goes to waste. So there's yeah. you know the the problem is enormous. Um, I yeah. have a couple of questions for you from my my. Um, I have a, an, an intern slash researcher, uh, and I felt that given your status as, uh, I believe, the, the first guest we've had on the show, uh, who's still in college, that I, I wanted to have um, ask a couple of questions on, on, on her behalf. So first of all, shout out to Kaylin for coming up with these, these couple of questions. <laughs> so the first one, um, you know, you sort of have a, a classic story of, of having a plan and, and and then things changing, right? You were a journalist mm-hmm. slash document. You were on the documentarian track and then made this pretty hard pivot to focus on FarmLink. Is do you have any advice for uh, people in college on how to find something you're passionate or motiv- motivated about um, and how to pursue that while? in college and not necessarily having to worry about finding a paying job like basically how how do you find things that you're that you are and explore things that you are passionate about without uh while still in college yeah of course um um for for okay for one uh it, it always definitely it definitely feels strange sometimes i'll go and talk to to uh the classes at different universities and it always feels strange giving advice to students um because i because i'm student. their same age right. and the thing is i you know I, i'll never pretend to know more than these people do i just may have had a unique experience that i've learned from in the last eight months uh so i can just speak from exact personal experience and maybe what i'm going to think about going forward um uh which is a, a couple things um one, if, if you have the if you have the privilege of if you if you have the amazing privilege of not having to worry about your financial situation during college, I mean, I, I think you got to take a, a step a step back and understand um, how, how unique that may be um, and how lucky you are for that. Uh, and that, that's something that it took me a couple of years to connect with. It's difficult to connect with, but to, to understand that, you know, I couldn't work on FarmLink. I couldn't start FarmLink if I had to work three jobs to pay for my tuition. I, I, um, I'm eternally grateful for not having to have, have um, not having to have done that. Uh, but, but, you know, that considered, I think, I think the thing that's extremely important is first of all, Finding the finding a partner, uh, it's really really difficult to to do it on your own, um, and because it's it's hard to convince the whole world, and you don't really need to convince the whole world. I think in my case, I you just got to find the the right friend who you share the same worldview with, but who you have a diversity of skills between the two of you guys, and that you two. It might not even be that you guys need to get together and start, you know grinding on some new project it's just you two sitting and talking a lot about different cool things you're both interested in 
that's what I've done with, with James for years. And it's led to us making a couple, you know, living in Nicaragua for three months and making a documentary about students there, making a documentary about refugees in Lebanon and now farmling. So random, you know, disconnected things largely. Um, well, it's funny so that you say sit, sit and, and talk about, talk about things. And of course that's the first step, but what I'm surprised or, you know, I'm more amazed at is your ability to, to take those large action steps because you, I don't know if you, maybe you, you, weren't in, inhibited by real world, uh, you know, past experiences yeah. kind of telling you what you, what you can't do. You're still in, in the, uh, you know, what I remember to be the, the college bubble of like, you can do whatever you set your mind to. And, yeah. you know, it sounds like that's obviously something that's like pretty cheesy, but mm -hmm. what I am inspired by is your ability to have taken those actions on something yeah. and say, and rather than saying what you can't do, looking at what you can. Yes, look, looking at what you can and find someone who thinks that same way and thinks not of find someone who when you come up with an idea doesn't think of the ways that that can't work, but thinks of the ways that can work. Oh, um, such good advice. I love that. Yeah, it's you know, there's a lot of people out there who go, I don't know, like they think of maybe what the thing would look like if it hit a national scale. And then they think of all the issues, find the person who doesn't think of it in that way, but rather the person who's like, okay, how can we try to do this at least once or set up on the smallest scale? Um, and the other thing is have confidence. This is how, what I, how I think is have confidence in the fact that, um, you know, if it doesn't look like a path that you're following, which people, you know, my age are always encouraged to be on a path, be on a path. If what you're doing, your actions don't, you know, seem to make sense as some coherent path, don't panic about that too much, or, or at least I'm not going to try to panic about that too much in the future because these things end up being interconnected in the craziest ways. I couldn't have started farming if I didn't do documentary work, even though they're completely different because I wouldn't have known how to pick up the phone and call people, cold call people and ask them questions. Uh, and I wouldn't have known how to story tell, and I wouldn't have known how to be uncomfortable in situations I'm not familiar in. So do if you have the privilege where you don't if you have privilege to be use able to work good. on what you're interested in use it for good and just do, do what the hell you're interested in and find someone who's interested in doing the same right T take yeah. take actions it, it sounds yeah. like really what you're saying is like take take actions explore your interests but take your interests and do something beyond just the academic exploration of it go do something in the in the real world and that, oh, that yeah. kind of allows you to further uh experience in in a much different way the your passions basically in in, oh, yeah. in in the real world which then allows you to take the next steps and learn from that in a way that you couldn't which um brings me to kaylin's next question which is what are some things you've realized or or uh, have come to understand through farmlink that you never would have learned or and and didn't learn in school yeah um um and I'm sure there's there are a myriad of answers to this. So yeah, maybe just, just give us just give us a couple. Yeah, uh, leadership, leadership. I think is the, the largest one. Um, if, if you if you start doing something and you ask a team to follow you, I mean, the first step is having to convince people that what you're doing is worth it, and uh, or at least be able to show them and let them convince themselves. Once they come on, I mean, naturally you're going to be they're going to look towards you as a leader and. A, a, a thought leader. 
And that was an uncomfortable position for me in the beginning. I usually like working on something by myself or with a couple other people who are, you know, who I think very similarly to. And the uh, concept of having, you know, 40 people at a given time who I was leading towards a, a, a direct task or goal was very scary. And um, um, I, I tried to peel away from it for a long time by, you know, putting myself in a position where I was just working on one thing by myself. You know, I'm, I'm not antisocial, but like having my own kind of objective. And eventually I came back to it uh, and I was really, really uncomfortable for me for a while. And eventually I became comfortable in it and started finding my own voice and how people respond and how to motivate people and how to recognize, you know, um, someone who wants to do the same and motivate others uh, against someone who may want to, you know, do the opposite. So that's been an invaluable, absolutely invaluable uh, development for me, I think. That sounds to me like something that that uh, dovetails with your previous answer that it wouldn't have been possible unless you put your thoughts into action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Aiden, as we look to, to wrap things up here, what are your fundraising goals for 2021 here? Um, and kind of how, how do you see the the next, what are the next big steps for the, for the FarmLink project as you move into, you know, from student to full-time professional and, and look to kind of take things to that, to that next level? Yeah. Um, well, aside from what I mentioned in terms of uh, hiring ex more experienced people we can work with and learn from, mm -hmm. we, without jinxing us here, I'll say it this way, we think we can do so much more um so much more and what that's going to take is doubling or tripling our our fundraising for 2021 essentially so getting to, to to 10 million would be the target sure yeah 10 10 million 15 million i mean the more the better and and i i can say this without sounding greedy because there's no profit being made here and as always the dna is is going to be uh of that 97% of what we're, of, of our donations are going towards food. So, you know, I like, maybe you could think of it more in terms of pound pounds moved. We've moved 25 million in eight months. Uh, I I'd like to move 200 million next, you know, in 2021. Uh, we've always been setting these lofty goals for ourselves and we usually laugh at each other whenever we start talking about the next goal, but we've done a good job reaching each one. So, that's what I'll say. Two hundred million pounds, and I, I appreciate you uh, kind of correcting me there because I'm so used to keeping things uh, financially focused. But of course, as mm. a nonprofit, your bottom line is not measured in dollars raised; it's made it's measured in impact, which yeah. is very easy yeah. to measure because you have set that, that singular goal of addressing that supply chain issue and getting as much food as possible to, yeah. you know, in, into the hands of, uh, or into the mouths of, 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 um, where it's needed basically. Yep. So I'm, I know I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the FarmLink project grow and, uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and, and that of the FarmLink project. If our listeners want to support you and, and your, your mission kind of resonates with them, what is the best way to do that? Yes. Uh, uh, farmlinkproject.org. Uh, there you're going to see opportunities to, you know, volunteer. 
either come on as a team member or just give a couple hours a week through what we call power hours. Uh, you can donate. You can look link to our social medias. Our Instagram is Farmlink Project. Uh, we're going to give you a host of ways to get involved because you know the more help we can get, the better. So farmlinkproject.org is the website. And if people want to see some of those sweet documentary style uh, short clips that you've come up with, is there an, is there an Instagram way to follow as well? Uh, yeah, personal Instagram. No, uh, the, the Farmlink Project. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I mean, sure, whatever you think is is the best way to 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 uh, for people to to get a good sense of what's going on in the Farmlink Project. Farmlink Project's Instagram is at Farmlink Project. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, well, Aiden, thanks again for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate your time because I know um, it sounds like every every hour is valuable in terms of uh, what what can be accomplished when you decide to uh, take your your um, you know, your, your values and put them into action. And I, I appreciate you, uh, what, what you're doing for the world that you've inspired me and, and hopefully, uh, you know, you inspire the, the, the listeners of, of this show to, to take action. Thank you for having me. Really. Thank you for letting me talk. Thank you to my guest, Aidan Riley of the FarmLink Project. If you want to learn more or support the mission of ending food waste and food insecurity, go to farmlinkproject.org. Time now for my unsponsor, aka a small business doing everything right. They don't pay for a shout out. Heck, they don't even know it's coming, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve one. Today's show is not brought to you by Modern Raised. Modern Raised is a globally sourced collection of children's apparel and clothes. As a soon-to-be dad, I really appreciate how Modern Raised simplifies shopping by doing all the screening for me. When you buy from Modern Raised, you are guaranteed thoughtfully made, high-quality pieces from people and companies who align with the core value of Modern Raised, including mindful purchases, sustainability, and giving back. They are the exact kind of company that deserves to be an unsponsor, and way more importantly, deserves your patronage. ModernRaised.com Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors and the small businesses run by our guests. Vote with your wallet, make the world a better place. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for the theme song, Worldometer, NPR, Morning Brew, and Statista Daily News emails, and of course, my wonderful researcher, Kaylin Kwan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, and wear a mask. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. Three quick questions for Aiden. Question number one, Aiden, what is your least favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I would say it's probably shaping or my work-life balance because this is the thing that I care about the most and that my friends that I'm working with that they care about the most um meaning it ha it's it's a, a amazing working on it together but sometimes we got to tell ourselves to just shut up and stop talking about farmlink um 24/7 and that can be tricky Question number two, as you have scaled, have you had any experiences that have shocked you about the realities of the nonprofit world? 
<laughs> yes, my go-to answer here is, um, uh, and I won't name any names, is an experience I had calling a food bank in Florida uh, where uh, I was, you know, basically offering them, I think it was a truckload of cucumbers. And uh, I got screamed at by a woman after a woman who worked for another prominent organization with a similar mission as, as ours. Uh, she called me after I hung up with the food bank. She'd heard I was trying to make a donation to them. And she was accusing me and FarmLink as being frauds and profiteers and that she was going to sue us. And uh, it gave me a kind of a reality check of the fact that, okay, there's this space is um, very coveted and uh, we might step on some toes coming into it, even if we're literally just trying to give people food. Right. There is wherever there is money involved in some way, shape or fashion, you can there is competition, even if yeah. it's in if, it, if it's competition to fundraise and to give. Yeah. And when your business is is giving is giving food, giving donations, I mean, it's treated the same way as if we were selling iPhones. I don't know. It's, it's so strange. But, right. You know, yeah. It's a funny way of looking at it, but yeah, it, it's oddly competitive. Last yeah. question, because this is a, a happy show. What is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? My favorite part is being able to see my own values, my own personal values and opinions reflected in something larger than me as an individual uh, is an incredibly, incredibly special uh, thing to experience uh, at this age. Well, thanks for coming on. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share, to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. 